0: hey there i'm ryan
1: and i'm britney
0: and you are listening to the page master book review podcast where we break down the latest and greatest bestsellers
1: so, if you're unsure of where to start your reading journey, or where you want to hear different views of some of your favorites, come on in, pour yourself some coffee, and make yourself at home while we dive in to your next great read.
0: And we are coming to you for our very first episode. Very excited to have the wonderful Brittany Bowman as my partner in crime. How are you, my darling?
1: I am good. I've been up since 7 30. <laughs> so have got coffee though and I'm good. How are you?
0: Oh, like, like I was messaging you earlier every 30 minutes I've been like shooting straight up thinking I slept <laughs> in past our recording time. Um, right. So give a little history to our uh, to our listeners. Um, I am Ryan. I currently have another podcast titled The Most Popular Guy in the Middle of Nowhere. Kind of a comedy variety show if you will so if you're into politics love sex relationships pop culture all that good stuff um, or if you just want to hear something really really trashy and raunchy be sure to give one a listen. also available on spotify and the anchor fm app and miss brittany here is a up-and-coming booktuber why don't you tell us about that how did you get started uh or what made you want to start uh your own youtube page
1: so I well I started my bookstagram somewhere around January um, and I just kind of you know fell into the fell in love with the book community um, and my friend one day was like have you ever been on booktube and I was like no but I know what YouTube is <laughs> <Right>? um, <laughs> and so I started watching some videos and I was like man I want to do that so bad um, and you know with this whole uh, thing going on in the world right now I decided now was the perfect time since I have so much extra time that I could start filming and reviewing books um just to share with people cuz I love you know sharing my insight on books so I haven't posted a video yet but I'm in the process of filming so
0: Oh no yeah I mean it's it is a process I yes, mean it is. Ugh, the editing the lighting um, yeah, and then if you have a little script and then heaven forbid if I, I swear this is gonna happen to you and not to jinx you, but I know it will. But just be prepared. There are gonna be those days when you have a full wonderful review, you're gonna love it, and then you realize that you weren't recording the entire time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Trust me, I, I've already filmed a one you know, one video where I was like, man, this was so good, it was so good, and then I went to go play it, and you can hear every single time my camera autofocuses, so I feel it. <laughs>
0: but that's, that's also, like, a, a beautiful part about it, is that you get to see uh, your your production, um, you get to see it evolve and change, and get, like, so professional, and then after a while, it's like, you know what you're doing. Um, yeah. So little bit a little bit more about us before we dive on in um we are both Potterheads, correct yes and then yes. you are griffindor right
1: i am but i'm having a little bit of an identity crisis <laughs>
0: uh which, which other house are you uh, debating
1: actually i signed up into the Pottermore for their because apparently they you know have updated their quizzes and such Um, And so I signed in with my new email that I've got specifically for, like, my uh, book community email. And it sorted me into Hufflepuff. So, (laughs) um, which, you know, when you talk about houses, you know, people tend to put, like, Gryffindor and Hufflepuff together where you can kind of coincide between both houses. And then, of course, the other side is Ravenclaw and Slytherin. So I'm not really surprised, but... I, it's a little bit of
0: an identity crisis for me. <laughs> no, I feel you. So. Like for the for the longest time I identified as Gryffindor cuz you know, lions are my favorite animals and okay. um I'm a leo myself. And so just yeah, you it know, just kind of fit. But then for Christmas like a few years ago, uh, my parents they sent me a Slytherin robe and at first I was dismayed, but then I'm like, <laughs> you know what? They're actually pretty a lot more similar than than i'd like to admit and you know like snape you know there are some slytherins who are of positive worthy note so i'm taking right. pride <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah but uh moving aside from uh from harry potter which we're definitely going to talk about that eventually at some point uh, sure. The very first book that we wanted to bring up to you is one of Barnes Noble's uh, most recent picks for their book club, um, A Good Neighborhood by Therese Ann Fowler. Uh, Brittany, would you like to give a brief synopsis for our listeners?
1: Sure. Um, I'll start off by saying our first pick is definitely um, more of it on a serious note, I feel like so a good neighborhood follows two families um the whitman's and the alston holtz and so the whitman's have just moved into this neighborhood um they built this massive house with a big pool in the backyard and um you kind of follow like valerie who is you know the mom of the alston holtz family you kind of follow her and her like how she's like reacting to this new house um, the Whitmans, the dad, his name is Brad. He's kind of like an up and coming like celebrity. He runs a, like a possible business and it just kind of follows both of these families and, um, you know, their transition into the neighborhood and Valerie and Xavier's transition into the, like the Whitmans moving in. So that's just kind of like a general, you, you get kind of a feel good at the beginning and then like just a few pages and you realize there's something a lot darker that's going to happen in this book. Um, and you kind of just get that sense of like, I don't know how to explain it like
0: this—imminent it's it's doom. Yes, yes, and it's like, so there's there so many, so many things I want to hit on first. Um, but I want to start off with uh, characters. So, were there any particular characters in general uh, that you identified with?
1: Oof. Um, you know, I think. Honestly, like my favorite character in this book was Xavier for sure. Um, I think I identified more with him just on his ambition, his like, like his dedication to his mom, um, and his schoolwork, and just like his, like, how he wanted to live his life and his future. Um, I thought I would identify with Juniper more, honestly, um, but I don't, (laughs) don't really feel like I did. Um, so I'd like—I think I really did identify more with Xavier. What about you? Um,
0: ironically enough, I think I identified most with Julia. So actually, before uh, before we uh, I break that or go into that, um, I think we uh, should give like the full cast.
1: Right. Right.
0: So yes, on the Alston Holtz, uh, Valerie. Um, what what exactly um, is her? Field. I know it's like it's nature related, but I can't. I don't have the exact like profession, if you will. Um, I don't, rem-
1: I don't remember what degrees see, like, she got.
0: I want to see like environmental science, something close to that. To where,
1: yeah,
0: um, maybe um, it's not botany per se, um, but put it this way, she can. Uh, she understands um, ecosystems and how to classify pretty much every variety of, of plant in uh, her local area. Um, as you said, you know, Xavier, uh, he is dedicated to his music, schooling, and his mom. And then with the Whitmans, uh, Brad, up-and-coming celebrity who has his own HVAC company, uh, He his, uh, his full-blood daughter... Is um, what was the what was uh, what was the, uh, the sister's name? I totally forgot her name.
1: Lily.
0: Very, yes yes
1: yeah.
0: Um, that is his and Julia's uh, child. Yeah. Uh, Juniper is his stepdaughter from a different relationship, and Julia, you know, is, is that um the Whitman mother. Um, so yes, I identified with Julia. In the sense that she's not exactly a social climber, but mm-hmm. she's looking for security. Um, within the book, we discover that she kind of came from, you know, not the best childhood. Um, mother was neglectful, and honestly, I'm just surprised she wasn't taken by CPS. But you know,
1: honestly, yes,
0: yeah, you know, not exactly every county has fundings to properly address those issues um, but I think I identified with her, you know, she wants to, she does want to fit in when she moves into the neighborhood, she goes to Valerie's uh, book club and you know, she brings gras, which you know, she thinks that these, like this neighborhood you know, it's, it's not exactly rich, but it's more upper middle class, so I don't think it'd be out of place to think that you know uh, these people wouldn't eat fungwa but she is. Uh, Valerie lets her know that um, it's like uh, there, there, there's like a um, a biological a biological concern with it, um, like the way it's made. It's not very ethical, if if you will. Um, so you know she's you know kind of taken aback by that. But yes, I I think I identified with her wanting to find some stability in her life. Um, Going into oh, you're gonna love this one (laughs) Uh, characters that you you did not like.
1: Oh, oh, right off the bat, Brad. (laughs) Um, I. Was not a fan of him from the very beginning. Like the very first time he was introduced, they were poolside. He, you know, went in to talk to Xavier, and I just right off the bat I was like, I don't like. And I don't think there was ever a point where I was like, I like this character. Um, so, and there there was a point where I kind of like questioned Valerie as well, but I think she still had good intentions. Um
0: with So kind of switching gears, uh what did you think about Fowler's writing style? Uh, did it kind of how did it influence your reading of the text?
1: So I debated this for, like, the first, like, 50 pages of this book. I really did. Because I don't think that I have read a book that was written in this way. Um, Because they had this, and I couldn't find a word for it for the longest time. But I finally found a post that, like, described it very well. But they had this, like, omniscient narrator. And I love that so much. Um, Where it was, like, I think of it as, like, a third party who's kind of discussing what's going on. discussing like the character's actions Mm -hmm. and uh kind of like the future I think they would say stuff like you know we couldn't really decide you know whose side we're on or we wouldn't tell you or something like that and it was just very gave it kind of just this sense of like I said earlier like that impending doom that's going to happen Mm -hmm. um because when it was from the character's point of view like when it was Juniper's point of view or Brad's point of view you still kind of got like this feel good family neighborhood type thing until you hit like chapter 15. But um, you kind of still get this feel good. But then you have this third person, you know, kind of looking in on the family and describing what's going on. And I very much enjoyed it. Um, I it It's something that I, I really enjoyed her writing style. Um, what did you think?
0: See, normally, uh, yeah, I think this is, this is like the first time I've read something that breaks the fourth wall if you will um it felt as if you know like yeah yeah as if you are visiting that neighborhood sitting down for tea and like you know the uh the neighbor this person just like you are not gonna believe this and you're just like what (laughs) tell me tell me tell me and every time there's a big reveal literally I was audibly gasping like I don't know every other 15 pages or so um Right. I definitely liked how there was uh, the syntax was very simple, and you know she didn't use a lot of like huge, huge words. I mean, yeah, I can get that, but at the same time, I feel like uh, I uh, I I just appreciate simple writing. You know what I'm saying? Like, you just let the story tell itself. You you don't have to embellish it with all the bells and whistles. I mean you know it can be beautifully done there are a lot of good works like that um uh, but i think there's something uh something to be said about something that's just simple that everyday person can read without having to you know pull out their uh their thesaurus every other five words um right. so kind of getting into uh the themes of the book um uh, what was the biggest one that like rang true for you
1: I think I kind of you know I've been thinking about this and there's so much that they put into this book or you know that Therese put into this book that you could say is the theme um, a lot of different like social issues um, but I think it when you really like narrow it down to what it is it comes down to like, like exactly kind of what the title is which is like what makes a good neighborhood a family oriented kind of theme for me just when you boil it, like, like really narrow it mm. down, um, but there are a lot of social issues that that come into play in this book, um, and a lot of things that they, that, you know, she discusses that are really difficult topics. See,
0: I think I would have to say, like, the biggest one for me. I mean, yeah, like once you boil it down, for me, it goes straight back to it—the like, very first. Thing, I feel like you notice, but it's the last thing that people talk about, you know? And it's like, similar to a lot of the people in a good neighborhood, you know, everyone wants to think that they're very, you know, progressive. But when push comes to shove and it gets ugly, you get to see where people's, you know, like what their true colors really are. Like, no pun intended, you know? Like, yeah. So, yeah, uh, kind of going into some discussion questions that the Barnes Noble edition provided. Um, early in the novel, Juniper considers uh, what she wondered made a neighborhood good. To her parents, good seemed to mean there were mainly other people like themselves. Um, what do you think makes a good neighborhood, and is Oak Knoll one of them? As new houses are built in older existing neighborhoods, do you think that changes the feel and culture of a place?
1: Well, you know, I thought about this question, or when I thought about this question, I asked myself what I like considered a good neighborhood to kind of be. And unfortunately, my my first thought was like <laughs> the the American dream type neighborhood with the white picket fences and the you know all of the houses kind of looking the same, and then I got into like The community of it, you know, um, does everybody know each other? Um, Does everybody like each other, dislike each other? Stuff like that. So your typical, like, residential neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, like, Oak Knoll is definitely a good neighborhood. But then you start adding in the new houses and the new families that are moving in. And they start describing like or comparing Oak Mall to hillside, which is the like the higher end neighborhood yeah. that that Brad's house would probably actually more belong in um, and you just kind of start to see like how these people like you know start comparing themselves to a higher end neighborhood and I don't know it's I do think that the neighborhood was good and then just adding in. I don't know. How do you feel about it? I don't know what I'm trying to
0: say. No, I, 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 I think I kind of pick up what you're, what you're saying. It's like... <laughs> now, this may sound bad, but I don't know. Um, Yeah, I definitely think Oaknell wants to be good. And for the most right. part, is. But when you have a catalyst, you know, such as the Whitmans moving in, it... I'm not going to say that they're a bad family. I'm not going to say that. But I will say that they can be... they're, They're not all that concerned with how their actions affect others. And, you know, case in point being, you know, when they first move in and the way the house is constructed... It affects uh, Valerie's tree, and you know, I mean, I guess the courtesy would have been to ask Valerie, "Hey, do you mind if we take this tree out?" Because I mean, in the book, you know, they uh, it's it's written that the construction workers, you know, they knew what they were doing when they were building the house and how exactly um, the construction would affect. the environment around around the house. Um so yeah, it would have been a lot more expensive. But I mean, I don't know, it's you know it's like I say, you know, hindsight's 2020. Um but yeah this definitely touched upon something that I feel really passionate about and that's uh the gentrification of neighborhoods. You know, like you said, like you know when you have new houses being built in historically or, you know historic neighborhoods. Um it, you know, it completely changes the feel uh, and makeup of the neighborhood. Uh, prime example, my hometown of Fresno, California, there's an artsy district, if you will. And slowly but surely, there are more uh, newer houses being built. And, you know, you have families that have lived in these houses like for generations. And then you add in, you know, one new house... Then another, and then before you know it, there's gonna be a Starbucks and a day spa on every other corner, which of course drives up the, the property value. And so all these families that live there for years are now being forced out of their neighborhoods. And you know, it goes from you know historic multi-generational families you know, to a bunch of yuppies. And I don't know, just it like makes a lot of places like lose their authenticity and their soul. It becomes just so much more commercialized. Um, right. That just kind of that—that's a whole other thing well, in itself.
1: Well, and, you know, when they're talking about when, like, Brad and Julia move in and they're, like, decorating the house and everything and they're talking about their house, they continue to compare, like, oh, you know, this is where we had to live in this neighborhood because it's what we could afford, but, you know, we really do belong in Hillside. And that right there just shows you kind of, like, like, the negativity that they kind of bring into the neighborhood and into a neighborhood that's already pretty much settled. And they talk about... Um, you know Valerie's house it's not anything special and it's small and it's nothing compared to their house and it's just you can see kind of where their neighborhood might be headed towards Mm -hmm. but you also see like the community that was there before and it just it really does bother me how you know Brad and Julia moved this house in but they have kind of like no like no care for the community that's already there exactly what
0: you were saying, so yeah. So something that interests me a lot, um, and it's, <laughs> this, is a, this is a conversation I want to have on my other podcast about, um, about religion. Um, do you view the Whitman family as genuinely Christian, or is religion primarily a tool for Julia and Brad? And can both things be true at the same time?
1: So this is something that I've I've also thought about, like, reading this book, obviously, and I actually think back on now that I'm done with the book. At the beginning, they kind of make you believe that they're genuinely Christian. Like, they're a genuinely good Christian family. And then as you continue to move through the book, you start to realize how much of, I feel like, a tool it is, especially for Brad, and then how kind of Julia has made it, like, a front for her family. So in the beginning, you think you really do think that they are genuinely a good Christian family. And then you just realize, like, well, is it a good Christian family, especially how they talk about the they call him a pastor. I don't know if it was a pastor or a
0: uh, minister, a Term,
1: but minister, I think, is what they said. Thank you. Um, and so I really you, you see kind of how Brad uses it as a front, especially because he's becoming like the celebrity. Um So kind of you get both vibes.
0: Okay, well, um, can I ask you? So, could you reference um specific instances like where you, uh, where you think that uh, Fowler is trying to show that they really work with Christians? Like, were there any things uh, in particular that stuck out to you?
1: So, in the beginning, they. Where is it? They talk about um, when they start to first talk about the purity ceremony, which we'll. Get- <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> they just give it very like um, like this was good for our family, and this is I can't reference a specific one. It's just the vibe I got from the beginning. Um, but like when they have like their housewarming party and they're talking to other people, and they're, like, obviously people present, they are trying to show that, like, presence of a good Christian family. So, like, just when they're discussing it with other people, um, and then you kind of get towards the end where, you know, well, security things a whole other conversation, but um, I just, I felt like they're, how they were trying to present themselves to others, is really where Therese was kind of like showing that good Christian family vibe. Um, it wasn't until you got into the thoughts of Brad and Julia and the thoughts of like what Juniper thought of everything, um, that I was feeling like, okay, no, I think they're using religion more as like a like a a presence and I don't know, a tool. A tool is a good
0: scene I found it very interesting how uh, Juniper was I'm not gonna say completely you know, in favor of of her faith. I mean, I don't know how to explain it, but well, actually, yeah. I mean, I think it was interesting how she thought it was a good tool for her specifically um, prior to meeting Xavier. You know, she was glad that she didn't have to deal with the drama that came with you know dating guys her age and partying and whatnot. Um, I thought that was like, really mature of her. And so, like, I wonder how much of that maturity comes from uh, learning the faith versus, you know, kind of, sort of, you know, having to be on her own when she was a kid, while uh, Julia, you know, was was working and being the breadwinner um, before they met Brad. Um, and I also here's here's my kind of issue with religion is the debate between like being a quote-unquote like true believer or follower like what exactly does that mean because i've like met some people who think that you know true believers you know follow the uh the word as it is written in the bible and then you know obviously there are some things you know slavery selling your daughter you know whatnot um That you know, I think universally everyone can you know disagree on, um, but it also brings in the question of you know, you know, how much are you allowed to quote unquote like cherry pick the certain parts of religion that you want to follow? Because for me, to an extent, it like this is exactly what Brad and uh Julia are doing, you know, they're picking and choosing what they want to follow. And then when things get hard, you know, they're exempt from the rules. You know what I'm saying?
1: Right. It's... Religion for me, you know, you always hear, especially living in Oklahoma, um, like, to be a true believer, you need to go to church every Sunday and Wednesday, and you need to read the Bible every night, and... Um, you need to be very active into the the community, um, and for me, religion is just having faith and believing in what you believe in. And I and I like to learn about a lot of different religions, but I, that's why I, I felt like like Juniper was very it was a very interesting character in regards to her faith because like obviously she saw how her mom was growing up um, when her mom was single or dating the various men that she dated. Um and so she she kind of watched her mom and then she was introduced to this religion or this like religious practice that allowed her to kind of get away from the same life her mom had. Um and I think that kind of gave her hope that she was going to be able to just live a better life than her mom did. Um and I I really liked Juniper's like she felt like she was I felt like she was very um what's the word? very like in tune with her faith whereas Julia I felt like kind of just
0: Bore the title.
1: did it to Yeah.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. So uh diving a little bit more into uh Juniper and Julia and um the religious aspect of it. Uh, describe what Juniper's early life was like when Julia was down in her luck. How does that experience shape what is what is expected of her and the choices she makes, including the purity vows? Uh, what kind of messages does she receive about the kind of woman she should become?
1: So I could possibly have a lot to say <laughs> about this question. <laughs> um, the I don't know how you felt about this chapter. I literally cried. Um, the chapter where they discuss, like, um Julia had to go to work and you know she had to leave Juniper with the babysitter and she walks into this woman's house you know this babysitter's where her daughter's being watched um and she realizes that there's no one in the house but she just leaves Juniper like on the couch and says stay there mommy has us go to work um you know your babysitter will be back in a minute and then it it talks about how Juniper, this... How old was she? Like,
0: I think she was four turning five, yeah.
1: Four, yeah. And she, she's just being left on this couch to watch, you know, whatever she was watching on TV. And no supervision. And granted, it might be like a little bit of an earlier time. But her mom just leaves her there. <laughs> and she... Um, and I get it. Julia had to get to work and if she was late, she was going to get fired. Like, I understand that. But it was a very hard chapter for me to read. Like, especially as a mom, um, I could never leave my child, you know, alone there. And, you know, Juniper remembers that even at a young age, it, it talks about how she remembers that moment. And, um, it, w- it was just a very hard chapter for me to read. Um, And so then, you know, she, they, when she turns 14, she has, she does this thing, this purity vow with her stepdad, Brad. And
0: for those, uh, uh, yeah, for those who don't know what exactly is the purity vow. (laughs) Uh,
1: The purity vow. Um, I'm going to be completely honest with you. Kind of weirds me out. Um, I understand the, so a purity vow is especially in this sense and what they did is they had kind of like a ceremony where these young girls kind of like vow their chastity like they're not gonna have sex before marriage they're gonna wait but they kind of in this they kind of like like dedicated it i don't don't know dedicated is the right word but dedicated it to their fathers and it was kind of like a father-daughter ceremony um where you know they were like I'm not gonna have sex before marriage, and I'm gonna, when I get married, my father's going to hand me off to my husband, um, and then they have, like, a father-daughter dance, and they do, like, it's just a big ceremony for young girls who are taking these purity vows, um, but so at 14, she has that, and Brad is the person that she kind of vows that to, so, um, it's, you know, she makes that choice and I think she she definitely at the age of fourteen makes it in like like it's a very good thing for her, I feel like, um, considering her life before her, but how did how did you feel?
0: I was glad can go into this for days, but I'll I'll try to bullet plan it as much as possible. So first things first, um I absolutely abhor the idea of of you know a chastity ball and purity vows yes. since it's so archaic like I understand it I, I guess I would feel more better about it if there was like a ceremony you know for the boys because without if if there's not a ceremony for the boys to me it's just you know like like um, Fowler was writing you know, it's it seems as if though it's just a ceremony for men to once again impose their control you know on you know on their women yeah. and it sends the idea that if this girl does not keep her promise you know she's damaged goods she's ruined she's a whore you know whatever expletive you know you want and there's like no mention whatsoever about you know the boys being here and doing whatever they want, and you know that just sends. I think that sends a message that um you know, to to those younger boys that yeah they can do whatever they want, and that um, any girl who does the same you know, she is less than. Um, it just you know has that whole like context of you know women being property and I mean yeah it just it just sends that it sends a message that if you don't take this pure if you don't take this vow seriously um you're never going to be happy or fulfilled um you're always going to be seen as less than and you're going to deserve it um but yeah, I I do think that you know Julia, I'm sorry, Juniper taking it um, at that age. I think for her it, it was a good thing. It did give her like that structure. But I just again, it's just like I hate the idea. It just sounds as if though, you know, you're you're promising your virginity to your father. It just it, yeah, does not sound <laughs> right at all. Like,
1: it, ugh. there's. There's literally... So, I think it is a very powerful thing for a woman to say, I'm not going to have sex till marriage. Now, and that's her own right. Like, I do feel like there's a powerful feeling to that, to make that decision. But I I was talking to my Nana about this, because when I read the first chapter that introduced the purity vow, I went straight to my Nana, and I was like, I'm (laughs) disgusted. And only because... I did feel like she was like, like, I don't know, telling Brad like I'm not gonna do, I'm not gonna have sex just for you, um, and it just it's I don't think I could ever stand there and hold my dad's hand and vow, you know, my purity to him, and I just I did not get the best feeling from that. It was the every time we'd bring it up, I was like, that's weird, um, especially when they described like. The picture that they took um, together—it it, just—I did not get a good feeling, and you could kind of see there where they were going to get into some. Like I was, just getting,
0: I was stuff. getting Law and Order SVU um, vibes the entire time. I'm just like, how many times <laughs> have we seen this? Yes.
1: Yeah, and it's—it was sad because when she took the vow, she kind of saw it as like, like an innocence thing where she could, where I felt like she could kind of get away yeah. from how her mom lived. And the lifestyle that her mom lived. But then that message, the older she got when she you know turned 17, she was kind of like, oh, wait. This is kind of more along the lines of where I just need to be married and learn how to cook and do my husband's laundry. And stay at home and watch the kids and just shoot out babies, basically. And that's when I started to not like what it did for her. Um, because she kind of got into that mindset. um There's that one specific chapter where, you know, her and Brad are home alone and she's like, I'm going to cook dinner for him and I'm going to be the good wife at home, which I also thought was really weird. Um, But, you know, it kind of set that like expectation that she was going like her one goal in life was to get married, you know, um, have babies, cook, clean, which is a not it's a good like If people decide to do that, it's it's good for them. If, it's, if, they if they think to. it's what's
0: expected, <laughs> that's yeah. That's when the that's when the yeah. issue begins. Um, kind of going more into that. Um, page ninety six says she wanted her daughter to value herself more than she, Julia, had done as a teen. Wanted her to see chastity as the thing that made her the boss of her fate. Uh, what did you think about this notion that a woman's purity is her superpower?
1: Well, and I've kind of touched on that. Like, if you make that decision to, you know, be pure, I guess, which I don't like that word whatsoever, um, to be pure until marriage, like, like that is your own decision, your own right to do that. And I kind of see where Julia's is coming from because she did not have a very good life growing up at all. Um, she, you know made some decisions that really impacted her life. Obviously, she had Juniper when she was really young. Um, and, you know, she didn't feel like she had any control over her life, which she had a lot more control than she thinks she did. But she didn't feel like she did. And I think for Julia, trying to put her daughter on the what she believes to be the right path, like, that's a, a motherly instinct. So I do think that there's somewhat, somewhat of a, uh, you know, Superpower in, you know, having the right to choose that. I just don't think Julia really, like, I don't think the ceremony is the way to do that. And, you know, it's something that Juniper should have had to, you know, it should have been a conversation between Julia and Juniper, like, you know, this is what my life was like growing up, and I want you to be able to make, you know, better choices, more informed choices um instead of like you're gonna take this purity vow, and um you know i don't know i just feel like it could have been done differently i do think that there is that superpower to it but not not in the way that it was done here.
0: so i uh, moving on next to what i'm sure you're gonna <laughs> i'm sure you're gonna love um what scenes with brad did you find especially upsetting to read how does brad justify his desires and urges and did you understand where he was coming from? Actually, I'm sorry. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with that one. Um No, I do not understand any of that. You sicko! You sicko! No. Like you, how do you watch? You know, a five year old. I, I, I believe. Wait, I think she was she was nine when um her mom married him, right?
1: Yeah. I so I mean, so, around that age.
0: A child, a literal child. I mm, I,
1: so, so some background on this for everyone listening there is a chapter you'll come across, and I do believe, Ryan, that I messaged you as soon as I was done with this chapter because I wanted to throw up. Um, I think it's like chapter Uh, 15.
0: Well. I mean okay so first first like when yeah like kind of like what you mentioned like when they're mentioning um the purity vows like instantly I knew that's that's what was gonna happen but I'm just like hoping praying let me be wrong and then the when she's cooking dinner for him I'm like oh no we're getting there we're getting there and then finally I think it's like that's a mixture of like 17 through 21. I want to
1: say. Oh yeah. Chapter 15 was. the Where she was left alone. At the babysitter. Sorry yeah so a little farther. Farther into that. Um, but you literally feel like. There is just a. A father daughter relationship. Between the two of them. And then you get to this one chapter. Where Brad is like. Sexualizing. Juniper. <laughs> And he's basically saying, like, oh, it's okay that I'm having these thoughts or I'm having these desires because no one else knows. And it's just like, no, Brad, it's not okay. It's not okay at all. <laughs> you cannot think about your stepdaughter like that. And it doesn't, and I think at one point he says, like, oh, you know, I would never, not that I don't think it said this specifically like this, but he would never think of Lily that way because Lily is his biological daughter. But it's okay to think about Juniper that way because I'm not related to her. But it's like, you're married to her her mom, so it's not okay whatsoever to think about her that way. And he tries to justify, he's like, and there are some pretty, I want to say, like, graphic scenes in here where it talks about him doing things in the shower, but it's okay because no one else knows. And it's like, it's really not okay. It's disgusting. Um,
0: it's disgusting for several reasons. First and foremost, you know, age difference you know like
1: massive age difference (laughs) second
0: you know you were entrusted with protecting this this kid you know like and third just like all the psychological emotional damage and like you know I've I've known some people who've had similar experiences and you know they're still working on themselves today you know, I think like the, you know, there, there's so many different ways victims or survivors, you know, will react. You know, sometimes they completely um, don't realize like their, their value as a human being and just, you know, continue on a downward spiral and start sleeping around because without that self respect, that self love, you know, it's like, why, you know, why should they care what happens to them? Um, or sometimes they become predators themselves Um, so it's just like I was just thinking of of all the horrible ways like what was going to happen like the the instance of you know being groomed and molested and you know assaulted is a trauma in itself but then when you think of all the potential repercussions after that of where it could lead to that's Mm, that's a life that you have to you have to work at so hard like ev- every day to um, to like get out of or like stay out of and ooh, I, I just wanted to stab Brad that, that instant
1: yeah same he and going back to kind of the purity vow with Brad there's an instance where juniper like you know they're at the the ceremony and she's looking at him and she has this like i don't know gut feeling to ask herself like is he looking at me like a daughter or is he looking at me with something else, like something else in his eyes and she couldn't figure out whether or not like how he was looking at her and she was 14 at that time she was like oh he's looking at me like something other than a daughter right now and that you know that's instinct telling you like you probably need to run dude you probably need to get away get away from that whole situation which of course she can't she's 14 living at home with her family um but i feel like and you can kind of see it later on into the book that brad felt like he had this like hold on juniper like she belonged to him because of this like purity vow and that just in itself like I think that's where his, he started, like, sexualizing her. Um, and it, it just, like, it seemed like he felt like he had control and power and a hold over her that no one else could have because she... Not only that, but and, then
0: you also have to think of the um, fact that I think all three of them, uh, Brad, Juniper, and Julia, Lee, they all reflect on that, you know, before they were married, you know, they're living a poor lifestyle and so what happens if, you know, he goes away for, you know, whatever reason. Let's let's say, you know, she doesn't report him and let's just say uh, Brad and Julia just, you know, get divorced. Um, you know, there goes their cushy lifestyle. And I think, you know, I think that was something that uh, Juniper thought about. Um, maybe not like the forefront, but I think it was definitely there. Just thinking about, you know, if she reports him, then not only is she responsible for breaking up her family, but you know she might that 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 might result in, you know, her and her sister and her mom living on the streets. You know, so like that's a whole another uh, burden uh, to place on herself. Um, but speaking of burdens, uh, I also liked the Romeo and Juliet aspect of. Uh, of the story um, so yes even though uh, Valerie uh, she brings up a lawsuit against uh, Brad and the construction company because of uh, the impact the construction had on the tree and they were suing Brad for like 500000 or something like that and they weren't expecting to get that much but that was their starting point and, and of course they were going to work down until you know, they got a deal um, but even though there was an issue with their parents, Xavier and Juniper, you know, kind of started seeing each other. And um, where was that next question? Um, oh, did you recognize your teenage self in any of the younger characters in the novel? Like Juniper and Xavier, uh, did you also share a strong sense of desiring social justice?
1: Um, I will disagree with you. I did kind of like the Romeo and Juliet vibe. Uh, Did I say disagree? I I will agree with (laughs) you. Oops. Um, (laughs) So I definitely agree uh, between Juniper and Xavier. And you kind of forget at some points in these books that this is supposed to have some sort of like a romantic vibe between the two of them, um, of course, until you get to the end. But um, I kind of, you know, recognize my teenage self more in Xavier, like I said at the beginning just because uh like his viewpoints and he there's this one thing that he talks about um is like why um is it that even though i'm half black half white that people you know that i'm automatically like black in everyone's eyes and he just he kind of just doesn't understand at the beginning kind of like that divide between the two because his father was white um and so I kind of think about those things a lot, too, especially in the world that we lived in and especially some things that have happened in the past. Um, and he, he wants there to be like this. He's kind of just like fed up with the idea of racism even being a thing, which I think all of us can agree on that. Um, so I definitely kind of recognize myself more in Xavier than I did Juniper. I think... So.
0: I mean I Definitely. I wish I was as mature as Xavier was at that age you know like, like all 18 year old <laughs> kids you know I knew it all
1: <laughs> right I guess I should really uh, re- like I, what I really should say is I think I strive yeah. to be like Xavier <laughs> yeah. whenever I was a I a kid <laughs> mean, actually, like, yeah, I,
0: I think in this case then yeah I guess I would identify as, as Juniper in the sense that like uh, I, I want to say, I'm not going to say she's all about appearances, but I think she's one of those people that, um, a cross between like a peacemaker and just wanting there to be tranquility and like no conflict. And so, uh, you're very flexible in that way, if that makes sense. Um, how is the love experienced by these teens different from more mature versions? do you think Xavier and Juniper have good models for healthy adult relationships? <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> I think Xavier had a better model for healthy adult relationships than Juniper did. Um, especially just because of the first half of Juniper, Juniper's life. Um, seeing her mom go from relationship to relationship to relationship. Um, and then of course seeing her with, like she kind of feels like her mom married into the lifestyle that they have now um which i don't think is the best like role model for a good relationship but i mean the beginning of brad and julie's relationship wasn't the worst um so i think xavier had a better model for healthy relationships just because of you know um his mom and his dad well actually uh, i'm sorry
0: sorry to separate Um, there but um, xavier was like two or he was like between like Nine months to two years old, I believe, when um, his dad died of a brain aneurysm or something like that. And I, 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 yeah,
1: but I felt, and I get where you're going there because he was like really young when they whenever his dad died. But I felt like his mom still did a good job of like, like conveying that relationship yeah, okay. to him, like. He could, he could still feel the the like impact that their relationship had on Tom's okay, life. You. Um, and also she did. I guess to to segue from that too, I think she did a really good job of handling relationships after Tom, um, like keeping them kind of a, away from Xavier, where that can kind of shield him from a, a positive adult relationship also. But I still feel like she did a really good job of like like talking to Xavier about the relationship that like she had with um with Tom and everything. So I still feel like he had a better experience, oh, yeah. just in my opinion.
0: I, I think um, I, I, I agree with that because um had these had Valerie you know brought these uh, the, the, the you know the few men that she did date after um, Xavier's dad had she brought them into Xavier's life and after the rel- the relationships you know, fizzle and end you know, it's like another father figure gone, if you will and but, you know, she's very wise yeah. in making sure that if she's going to bring somebody around him, it's going to be somebody who's going to stay um, which you know, I, I definitely appreciated that a lot because um, yeah, I've seen my fair share of you know friends who go uh, who've, who've gone through that um, so, getting more into the juicier and arguably like one of the biggest, um, the biggest uh, point uh, plot point, uh, Julia or not Julia, Juniper eventually gets a car, and she's not asking exactly you know for something. She's not asking for a Benz or anything. She just wants something functional. And Julia at first is worried, you know, first the safety concern, you know, just driving in general. And then I think they also brought up the fact, you know, they want to know where she's at at all times. So they end up getting her a car that has a GPS tracker in it. And Brad decides to eventually, that he wants to cross that line. And he follows the GPS to where um, Juniper says she's going for a run but really she's meeting up with Xavier um, to you know, have a romantic date and lose her virginity and so when Brad uh, pulls up to where they're at he opens the door and there they are uh, Brad then, uh, you know, goes after Xavier. He bolts, and instantly he is infuriated, and he starts taking pictures of the quote-unquote crime scene and then reports it to the police. So, what was, <laughs> what was your reaction to that whole thing? Were you as screaming as loud as I was?
1: Um, Yes, because could Brad not get any worse (laughs) than how he acts in that moment? Like, I thought he was already, like, to the point of just such a dislikable character. And then we get to this moment. He's, like, taking pictures of his, you know, barely covered up, naked stepdaughter, um, you know, after catching them in the act. And he's taking control of a situation in, like the worst way possible i did not it could not if i was juniper i would have just been absolutely scarred for life in that moment um and it, it was not it was kind of hard to read after the fact you know because you go from such a lighthearted, like um almost beautiful chapter of juniper and xavier you know having this moment And then you get into this where Brad comes in and he's all like, he's just pissed off that, and I I talked to my dad a little bit about this, he's just really pissed off because he didn't get to to do this first, um, which is gross. Like, he's not mad at the situation necessarily. He's mad because he didn't get to take, you know, Jennifer's virginity. (laughs) That is so gross to me. I was so mad at that but the picture taking thing really just rubbed me the wrong way it was not why would you do that especially like you're putting your daughter in a position that she's uncomfortable and they talked a little bit about that where he was like look at how distressed she is she's so upset and I was like man she's upset because you're taking pictures of her and she's basically naked I'm like you interrupted a a moment for her and um, one that she wanted and you're taking pictures of her yeah, you, of gross, you
0: break in on oh. what's supposed to be a beautiful memorable moment mm-hmm. um, you then attack the person that she's into then you start saying that you know he was forcing himself on you and then all of a sudden they go ahead and you know take her anguas think it was to uh, Brad's parents house in Tennessee or something like that so she has, like, no way to communicate with Xavier. And she's, you know, she's upset that, you know, he's not going to, like... She thinks that he's not going to want to, you know, talk to her ever again. And so for all, you know, all Juniper thinks is, you know, how much, you know, he probably hates her. And so, oh I was... Ooh. In what ways is her truth distorted by those in authority?
1: I mean, the entire time after this happens, any adult figure that she talks to is—I felt like very much like putting words in her mouth. Um, and she's very confused by the entire situation. She doesn't know, like, like she's—you kind of get like this scared vibe in the beginning. Cause she's like, "Oh my god!" Like, Brad found out that I'm, you know, having sex. I've just broke the purity vow. But she. Like, I feel like every conversation she has with everybody, they're trying to twist how she's feeling and twist how, like, the event actually happened. And, of course, you get that vibe from the entire thing, but it's, I mean, especially with, um, like, Brad, like, Brad didn't even really let her talk. He was like, this is what happened. Um, Julia automatically, you know, with her marriage to Brad and her relationship with Brad, she she believed Brad, and I don't even think really had a conversation with Junior, Juniper about what happened. Did she at any point? Have that
0: um, not until after, you know, the big what happens after. Um. uh you no. Know, as soon as, as soon as, um, Brad brought Juniper home, she goes upstairs, and he tells Juliet, you know. She's just been through something, you know, she needs a moment to herself, you know? (laughs) And um, that's something else that was uh, big in the book was, you know, Brad's status as a celebrity, if you will. Um, He's written as the guy who looks in the camera and speaks directly to you. You know, he has that good all-American charm. And... That has so much power behind it, in in him, you know, bringing this uh, these accusations, you know, to uh, to the police and to the you know, medical examiners and whatnot. And so, yeah, if you have, you know, the golden boy telling you something, nine out of ten times you're going to believe him without question, uh, and that's like it's so irritating. All these people, I mean, I'm sure, you know, they're well-to-do. They do want to help. But at the same time, literally not a single person asked her what happened. I mean, at least as, as far as I can remember in the book, not a single person said, you know, what exactly happened. You know, it was just, you know, Brad, you know, put out the story out there.
1: And it was even like when she was being interrogated by... Um or, you know, being questioned by the officer on duty, he was basically, like, racist and just automatically assuming because he's listened to Brad, you know, to tell him the story. And she's, like, trying to, um, you know, tell him, like, no, this is... What are you talking about? This is... You know, she's trying to tell him, you know, this police officer who she should trust, and he's just like, no, honey. This is what happened. I'm just asking you questions. <laughs> like it was so backwards from what it should actually be um and then that conversation she had with the nurse i believe it was the nurse maybe doctor and i think it i think it was a nurse and the nurse was like you know boys just get it in their heads and you know they uh manipulate you and she was just like no no that's not what happened but then the nurse would push back like no that's what happened it was just everyone she talked to and even when she would try to tell her side of the story they were like no Xavier's a bad kid um this is what you know boys get in their head and they're manipulative and it was just it even when she would try she was being pushed back
0: and I found this like so I don't know what's the word I guess it just rings so true that honestly if you're not if you're not born white you're automatically guilty of something you know, it, it doesn't matter, you know, self-defense or what have you. you know, you're automatically seen as more guilty. And, um... There, there was a quote, page 244. Uh, if you are a black person in the United States, you live each day with the knowledge that this scene, or one very much like it, may be in your future. You needn't have done anything illegal or have broken any rule. Um did this statement resonate with you what other injustices does the author explore in this book uh, did you find you further explore your own opinions on these hot button issues um, I totally lost where I was going with that but yeah um, what were your what were your thoughts on um, that and the media news cycle coverage?
1: So I have been doing a lot of reading here lately on books that touch on this subject of um, Black people in the United States that have, like, just, that have not been, um, there's just a lot of injustice in the world, honestly, and I've been reading books on this stuff for the last couple of months just to be, like, I don't know, just to educate myself on these injustices. So when they started talking about this, I was like, there are actual instances in the world outside of a fictional novel where this is happening and it's absolutely heartbreaking. And you see it happen unfortunately all the time. Um, especially, you know, earlier, like in history, like you now. I, mean, um, I was gonna was say, hard. you
0: know, uh, the first thing that came to mind was Emmett Till. Um, you know, he was reported to uh, supposedly have raped this, this white woman and she confirmed the story but only because she was coerced to do so and then you know, years later uh, turns out oh nope he didn't yeah
1: yeah there's um I, I just finished reading a book not to touch on another book in this podcast but uh, I read just oh I saw like
0: the I movie it was same. so good oh
1: Yeah, I haven't seen the movie yet, but uh, the book is phenomenal. Um, But it touches on these same type of things, but in like real life situations uh, where, you know, these black men and women are accused of something just because they are black and not because they've actually committed a crime. And that's exactly what's happening to Xavier in this book. He's being accused of something. That he did not do. I think at one point it mentions that he was charged with mm-hmm. kidnapping, and she, and Juniper was like, kidnapping. "I it myself." <laughs> and mm. <laughs> she she had she could have left at any point if she had looked at Xavier and been like, "No, I don't want to do this." He would have been like, "Okay, let's go home," you know. And he's because of the color of his skin, he is being charged with a crime that he did not commit, and everyone's just kind of going with it at least these higher up people like Brad and who has his own motive of course um, and the his lawyer and everything like they're just like well he's a young black kid and I think at one point they literally say this is what they do and you're just sitting there like no it's not he didn't do anything wrong um, neither him or Juniper did anything wrong and he is being accused of such a oh it got my blood boiling um, so it's it definitely, there's a lot of injustices in this book that the author touches on. I that um, And oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. End, no, I was just gonna say towards the end she's definitely primarily focused on um, injustices towards you know uh, black people and just what happens you know when they're at I want to say like the wrong place at the wrong time, but not even that because they're he didn't do anything.
0: But that's the thing um, though is like you're know, like uh, like that quote earlier um you know just you know just being not white is already a crime and it, it, essentially I mean, yeah. you know and i had something and i lost it oh it's it's coming back it's coming back hang on um oh yeah there we go honestly it doesn't even at this point it doesn't matter what happened or what didn't happen he's already going to be guilty in the court of public opinion and you know again yeah. with Mr. To do well, Brad, you know, um, his virgin daughter was found at knife point with a big, scary black guy. Like, just any of those words in a sentence, you know, on a headline. It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't matter what happened. He's he's already guilty. He lost his scholarship, lost his job. Uh, His uh, his the parents of his friends are telling him not to hang around. And everyone in this neighborhood who watched him grow up, you know, if I'm not going to say, like, actually, yeah, I am going to say they turn their backs on him. I mean, yeah. even though they say they don't want to choose sides, they're still choosing sides. And,
1: and they, they do because the, like, book club that's mentioned earlier on, early on in the book, they, like, basically get together to gossip about it. You know, without Valerie present, and they're like, "Oh well, he definitely raped her." And it's like, you guys, one weren't there, and two are definitely reading into what the, uh, you know, the police and the media are saying. So they they definitely do. You can say that they turn their back on him, like without even a second thought on
0: And it's like, I you you have to wonder. I mean, actually, no, you you don't. Well, I don't know. <sighs> Would you know? Would the reaction have been as strong or the same had Xavier been white? I mean, I think he, he may have had a few supporters, but you know, him being black, you know, no one's going to be in this corner except his mom. And it was particularly infuriating that, you know, if he did, uh, there was a plea that was being offered. I think it was like rape to for, like, 15 years and then 10 years probation, something like that. But if you lost the case, uh, it'd be 25 to life. And so, yeah, it's, like, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Um, so what were your thoughts on the novel's conclusion and Xavier's choice?
1: Um, I could cry right now. Okay. I hated how it ended and only because I wish there was some way for them to go back in time and not destroy that tree um it's I hated the decision he had to make at such a young age he had to make a decision that I wish no one had to make um I don't
0: know if we want to necessarily spoil the end of it. See, the okay, I'm, I'm debating. Like I th- I think I I, I don't know. I'll actually I'm uh, b- uh before the episode starts, I'll go ahead and put um spoiler alert, I'll like tell them like when to click off if they don't want to hear the ending.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so Yeah. will yeah. do it. <laughs> okay. It So at the end, Xavier has to make a decision and he goes and buys a gun. Um, Even talks about like, it doesn't, I don't need to really know how to use it. That's what YouTube is for. Um, He goes and buys a gun. It is. It's it's, sad. I have my own opinions on that too. But um, he goes, he buys a gun and he goes and sits across from where Brad works. And there's this whole chapter where you, they make you believe that Xavier's actually there to kill Brad and that he does shoot Brad and he goes and uh, runs off and throws the gun in the trunk. And then you realize it's really just Xavier playing out that scenario in his head of him shooting Brad and what it would look like for him as a young black man to shoot Brad after what he's been accused of. And he has to make this decision, like, do, do I make the world see me as that, the young black kid who uh, raped a girl and killed her father, or do I make a different decision, um, to try in some way, shape, or form, um, you know, salvage my reputation and, you know, salvage the reputation of young black men, and he ends up, um, going back to the, is it a cottage, it's not what they call it, um, going back to the cottage where him and Juniper, you know, had sex and he ends up actually, God, this is hard to say because I did not, I was so heartbroken, but he ends up killing himself instead, um, recording a video for his mom telling her, you know, this is how it, this is what has to happen um, because he felt like his life was over. You know, like you said, he, this scholarship was taken away. His, You know, he lost his job at the grocery store because of this. And he, for the longest period of time towards the end, he didn't think that Juniper cared. He was like, Juniper, you know, doesn't want anything to do with me anymore. Maybe she's believing the lies that are being told to her. Um, And then he finds that letter from her and she's like, I love you. Um, And he, you know, he realizes he felt like there was only one way out. And for him and everything that was being said, you know, he's already been deemed guilty by the public. So, you know, and he's lost his entire life because of this one event. Um, and I, I, I was not. It was very, very hard to read because um, I wish I could personally change his outcome. You know, in this book, um, how did you? Was, how did you feel about his? Like, after.
0: Um... After he got word, um, so kind of backing up, um, Brad had offered Valerie an out. Uh, he is, he was good friends with the DA, and said you know, he would drop the charges if Valerie dropped the lawsuit. So they do, okay. but the DA isn't in Brad's pocket. You know, he is like, no, you brought charges to me. I'm gonna I'm gonna follow them and carry them out. And so, yeah, uh, Xavier and Valerie, you know, they're blind. Well, so actually, not even Valerie. She didn't know. She thought the deal was already in place. And so she went to some conference or something. And Xavier gets word from his lawyer that, nope, sorry, not the case. Um, instantly, I knew, yeah, yeah, he was, he's either going to strike uh, back at Brad or he's going to kill himself because there's, you know, his, his life was already over, unfortunately. Like, I I don't want to believe that, but, you know, that's the reality. Like, the only thing left he would have, yeah. you know, is low end minimum wage jobs if that, you know, that's, you know, if he gets hired because then he'll have to explain the arrest record because, you know, he's already an adult. So it's not going to get expunged or it's not. Uh, The records aren't sealed. So he's going to have to explain that every time. And, you know, you have no idea. Hopefully you don't, you know, have any idea like how hard it is for somebody who's been um, uh, accused or convicted of any charges, you know, to get hired anywhere. Um, And what makes it even harder is that, you know, if you have been convicted... Uh, you're not allowed to work with somebody on the same shift who's also been convicted, and unfortunately, the only sometimes only people hiring um, convicted people, um, you know, like they're few and far in between. Um, right. So yeah, I was, I was just devastated. Like you know, it's coming. And still, it's just like every page, though you keep on like holding your breath, um, and it's just there was honestly justice was not served in this case because you know Brad, even though he you know, he had to give you know fifty percent of the business you know to uh, Julia, um, you know, he's still living his life, and he was. Supposedly, you know, he was golfing during Xavier's funeral. Like, if, if that is not yeah. the most effed up, self serving thing, you know, I'm honestly, I'm surprised he just didn't turn up with a bottle of champagne and watch the whole thing go down. Like, ugh.
1: exactly, yeah.
0: But yes, and so, the, uh, kind of wrapping things up, uh, what were the biggest takeaways for you from the book? Anything specific that you, know, you either learned about yourself or um, the issues presented?
1: I mean, honestly, you get into you start asking yourself like what your opinions are on these matters. Um, and of course, I think both of us kind of stand in the same, you know, uh, boat for this, which is like there's a lot of really horrible things that have happened to people and like do you make yourself a brat or do you make yourself a like a, a Valerie kind of because they're two totally opposite of sides of the spectrum but um, I, I don't know um, I hate racism with every fiber of my being um, I try to you know learn as much as I can to, to be knowledgeable on what has happened to try and prevent things from happening I know that I stand up for a lot of if I hear someone saying something, I have absolutely no issue standing up against it because it's it's just not right. Things like this, I just I wish, just didn't happen in the world, but unfortunately they do. Um, and this, this book shows you that this stuff happens. And um, you kind of ask yourself, like, what would I do if I was in that situation? Um, and I hope that if I was in the situation, I'd make um, an, a very, you know, an, a decision to help Xavier versus be like the DA or like Brad who just really could not care less. Um, So it it made me ask a lot of those questions um, and what kind of I would want to happen if I was in Xavier's shoes or if I was in Juniper's shoes. So I think that's pretty much it. I I focused on that a lot whenever I was done with it is I asked myself, what would I do if I was the DA or if I was that police officer who showed up? Um, And man, how I wish... Brad had been killed off the right? Like, honestly, <laughs> I,
0: I try to say you know the two wrongs don't make a right but there's some forms of justice that mm-hmm, I, mm, I, guess, I guess my biggest takeaway was that um yeah honestly th- there's a quote from Freedom Riders one of my favorite movies you know with Hilary Swank and Mario um you know, justice doesn't mean the bad guy goes to jail. It just means somebody pays the price. And in this case, unfortunately, it was Xavier. And that, yeah, it doesn't matter what did or what didn't happen. What matters is uh, who can tell the better story in court. And yeah, it just makes me—it just makes me question, like the whole—I the whole concept of the laws that we have in place and on that note that will wrap up our very first episode of the page master book review podcast we hope you've enjoyed uh this session uh if you want to follow uh britney where where can they find you
1: um on every single social media platform that i'm on is uh my handle is bowman bookstuff so it's just my last name Bowman and then Bookstow which is short for Bookstagram because I thought that was clever But (laughs) so that's where you can find me on basically everything right now
0: and then we'll of course be sure to let our listeners know when you upload your very first uh, video Um, next week we'll be diving into Amanda Earward's The Jets (laughs)